Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to another episode of Vitamin D&D, your weekly dose of Dungeons and Dragons, just what the DM ordered. I'm your host, Patrick, and here with me today, as always, is my fellow party member and co-host, Brady. How's it going? Good. Going all right. Okay. And uh, so tonight we're going to get down to the gory, the gritty business combat. Like I said, um, like I said in the last episode, this is what it's all about. None of the role playing even matters. You don't have to do fancy voices or have cool characters. You just need to be able to hit things. That's what. Well, I mean, you you can do all those other things, but we're just getting down to the nitty gritty, and then you can spice it up as you see fit. I mean, yeah, if if you're about that, you know. Yeah, if you know. <laughs> okay um so with combat the uh of course the social and adventuring aspects of uh dungeons and dragons are generally pretty fluid like we discussed i believe in episode two um way back when what is D episode we talked about kind of the the flow back and forth um between the dungeon master and hashtag the throwback thursday throwback um throwback tuesday um Tuesday. And uh, <laughs> so those parts are generally more fluid, constantly moving, you know, back and forth. But combat is a little more rigid. It can still be pretty uh, fluid and, you know, full of... And it has a flow. Elements. Yeah, it's yeah. got a little bit of a flow. Yeah, that's very much more organized. Like, there's a lot of rules. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in, in combat... Um, it's organized into rounds and within each round of combat is a, a separate turns for each character or each enemy and a round of combat um, occurs within six seconds um, within the the game world so if you kind of think of it as everybody's turn it's all occurring within the same six seconds but right just the gameplay you know necessity to have everybody do their separate turns you have to break it up. yeah because whenever you think about it in the world terms of like if it really took and as you'll come to find out combat turns do take a little bit because you know each person has to yeah there's rolling of dice there's figuring out what you want to do hopefully you've got that figured out before you get to your turn but if combat actually took, you know, if the the round took as long as it actually took for it actually to take place, then like things would move at extraordinarily slow paces, or it would just be a lot of the creatures and the players standing around, like, okay, I'm waiting on him to decide uh, how much damage he's going to do to me after he's struck me. So <laughs> I'm going to stand uh, here. It's, it just makes more sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, or or else I'm I'm going. So yeah, it's yeah. um it's all within the fantasy, so you know, you just got to think about it in that realm. Um but it can kind of be broken down into as Pat was saying, each round is the total of everyone having gone through each individual person's turn. So each person goes and that is their their turn. But after each person has gone through in successive order is a round. And then you start that round over again in the initiative order, which is 
The initiative order. All right, so when you roll initiative, you'll see that is kind of a, a big meme, um, a big, uh, well, a common phrase in, in Dungeons & Dragons is roll for initiative. Um, and so initiative is literally a dexterity check to essentially see how quickly you are reacting upon entering combat to see who goes first. Um, so it's how quick on the draw you are. Um, so whenever you're dungeon Yeah, master, basically just gauging your reaction. Yeah. Um, so whenever you're told to roll initiative, you roll your d20 and add your dexterity modifier, and that's your initiative for combat. Yeah, and then so the DM will... You know, at least a good DM will have a some sort of scratch piece of paper or like a little whiteboard or something that they can write down on, and everybody rolls and they will add their dexterity modifiers and or other extenuating circumstances, which we'll get into in a little bit. But for the most part, uh, you will the DM will write down each person and creature's uh, initiative roll, and then that determines the order in which everyone gets to take their turns in that combat round. But then uh, something going into that is something you can break up a little bit is some DMs or some dungeon masters will like to roll for each individual creature. So if there's more than one creature or um, combatant type, then sometimes some DMs like to roll for each one to see how they fit in there. But if there is you know, say a group of three goblins and two kobolds, sometimes the DM will like to roll initiative for the group of kobolds and then the group of goblins. So instead of rolling for each individual of those five combatant types, they will just roll for the two groups and then they will do the three goblins and then the the two kobolds or whatever it is. So that's that's some kind of DM dependent and uh, just something you'll kind of pick up as as you go along how your dm wants to do it yeah and it just you know just kind of a method to kind of keep combat moving a little bit more um, efficiently and maybe make it a little bit easier on the brain instead of trying to juggle everything all at the same time you can just think as a as a dungeon master okay it's the goblin's turn and all my goblins have done something now it's the next person's turn instead of thinking okay wait was it goblin one or was it Goblin three. Yeah, it's so. it's definitely easier to keep up with the groups as opposed to each individual thing. Just speaking from a DM perspective, I've tried doing it both ways, and the groups is easier. Um, but I mean, if you've just got three goblins, you might want to do it that way, but you can still just do it with the groups. So it's really just however you want, however you feel you want to do it. Yeah, and we'll have a uh, episode coming up actually where we'll kind of dive into combat from the dungeon master's perspective um yeah a little teaser behind the screen if you will yeah yeah um so let's see like i said dexterity check to determine initiative the highest person obviously goes first because there's the quickest um and then you go from there through each round and within your turn um during each round of of combat there's several different things you can do and those are movement, you can move, uh, action, we'll get into that in a second, a bonus action, which is kind of like an action, a little bit different, a reaction, so obviously, just as it sounds, you're 
um, making some sort of action in response to another person or another, like an enemy's action. Um, and there's free actions, which can be things like talking to people or helping somebody open a door, that sort of thing. And those kind of fall into the realm of not quite an action. So at the dungeon master's discretion, they can grant certain actions, sorry, quotes, actions as free actions. So that way it doesn't take up, you know, your whole turn just doing that simple little thing can be done real quick or even grabbing an object kind of thing. Yeah. And the, again, this is all going to come down to, we're going to be talking sort of from strictly the, the player's handbook terms of this is what the book says. We will mention that. And then we will also be covering it from the DMs, DMs discretion side of things, which we'll kind of list a couple of different ways that different DMs have handled things like how I handle things and how uh, Pat has handled things. And then just other, you know, other ways that we've heard of people handling these things. So just bear that in mind that yes, there is a definitive player's handbook way to do each one of these things. And then there is the, well, this is how I do it, or this is how I've found the easiest way to do it, or this is how I prefer it as a dungeon master. So just keep that in mind. Uh, we'll be covering both uh, with within this. Yeah. Um, and this is an, a great opportunity to plug uh, a lot of the Dungeons and Dragons communities out there. A lot of one that I kind of go to a lot is the DM Academy subreddit. Um, I love reading posts on there of people who've got great ideas of how to handle, you know, chase scenes, you know, like from, from movies, but chase scenes in combat or, you know, seafaring battles or even, you know, how to handle surprise or sneak attacks, that sort of thing. Um, so great, you know, resources are all out there. If you kind of stumble on it or don't really like how clunky combat might be feeling for you as a dungeon master, you know, try to find something that's, you know, a good solution. And we're going to be talking about as many of those as we can to help you out. Yeah. So getting into it, we'll kind of start about the first of those sort of main quote unquote actions or things you can do on your turn, which would be movement. So as we've discussed in previous episodes where uh, I believe we touched on it in uh, the races and the character creation episodes is your movement. So your movement is determined by your race and or class and a kind of a number, number of other things, but usually the base speed, you know, generally speaking is about 30 feet. And if you're playing on a grid square, you know, like a grid surface that has, you know, everything gridded off and everything is a certain amount of space. Usually each square is five feet. And so usually for movement of 30 is going to be six squares. <laughs> and that means that you can move. Yeah, I, I did have to do a little five, bit of quick maths 10, there for a second. 15. Yeah, I was like, five, ten, 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 ten. Six. Yep, six. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so you can usually move that much. Um, and that's kind of the terms that we're also going to be speaking on mostly is when we you hear us talk about reach and melee weapon range and things like that, we're going to be speaking in terms of the grid yeah. structure. But anyways. Increments of five. Yeah, exactly. Increments of five uh, per square, you know, whatever like that. So your speed determines how fast you can move, or which means how far you can move. 
um, as well as uh, some other special things that you can determine later. But basically covers walking, jumping, climbing, swimming, anything like that that's going to make you move around the environment and the area. And the neat thing about movement is you can actually break it up between your other actions. So you don't have to just move and then attack and you're done or attack and then move. You can actually break things up. So you can, if you, let's just say 30 feet, you have a a movement of 30 feet. You can move 10 feet, attack, and then move another 20 feet, which you might draw uh, an attack of opportunity, which we'll get into later. But uh, just in general, you can break that up. So you can move and then attack and or use an object or something else and then move again. You can just move, you can break up that movement and uh, use it in different combinations as long as you don't exceed your movement total. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you can break every single, you know, thing that you can do, whether it be actions, bonus actions, reactions, you can break that all up within movement. If you want to go five feet, do this, five feet, do this, or you can move, do the thing and then be done. So just depends on what you want to do. Kind of the flavor of the moment. Yeah. Or you can just stand in spot and, you know, stand in your place because that's how a lot of combat will be is if you're locked in combat with, another opponent sometimes you're not really yeah moving around a lot i mean depending on your opponent but most of the time you're just going to be standing there toe to toe with an opponent you know kind of trading blows or you know whatever um but just be aware that you can move attack and move and break these things up um in between the next things which we'll cover which is the um real quick um, before we go into that, one thing I want to mention, just um, kind of tacking on the end of the movement, is you can move through another creature's space. Um, this is one thing that kind of hangs up people a little bit. They feel like you get kind of bottlenecked in like a small corridor or something. You can move through a non-hostile creature's space, you know. So whether it be like a NPC, or you can move through a a hostile creature's space as long as it is at least two sizes bigger or smaller than you. So if it's a big old dude, you can move through. Um, and there's actually the, um, gosh, what do they call it? The, the halfling subrace. Uh, not the stout halflings, the other one. The lightfoot halflings, they have a special ability, kind of like something that is um, given to them with their subrace that they can move through a creature, a creature space who is only one size um, different than them. So that's a special ability. So then they, since that's a specific ruling for their subrace, it kind of negates this, this ruling. So. Yeah. And, and also speaking along that lines is if you are um, an ally or friendly to the same creature, you can move through the same square or space as a friendly creature, as long as you do not end in the same square or area or space of that same creature. So, you know, if you're going to be moving five or 10 feet beyond um, an ally or a friendly creature, you can move right through. No problem. Just as long as you are not ending your same uh, movement in the same square as that friendly creature. So just, just bear that in mind. You can still move through. You don't have to be a little, 
um, you know, gnome or a, a halfling to be able to move through the same spaces, but uh, that is a special feature of the gnome. So just just bear that in mind of of, of friendly creatures. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going on to the next part. Um, this is kind of the the main the most common um, thing you're going to do in combat is the actions. And there's a section um, called actions on combat. And anything that falls kind of outside of these uh, is going to be up to the DM to decide. And there may be some sort of ability check that they call upon the character to make if they say they want to do something that's a little bit off the books. Um, so first one of those is obviously just going to be attack. It's the most common action. Um, it can be a ranged or a melee attack. Um, and some special abilities can allow for multiple attacks, but they still fall within the same the single action. Uh, next thing you can do is cast a spell. Each spell has a specific casting time if you read the spell description, which you should. You should not try to cast spells until you understand and read them. Um, exactly. And, <laughs> and uh, either that or you may find out you can't do that. Um, and the, uh, the spell that you're casting uh, as an action doesn't necessarily have to be an offensive spell. Um, and like I said, the spell will specifically state it requires an action or might require a bonus action, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, next thing you can do is dash, which doubles your movement speed. So it makes it where you can get away faster or chase down a uh, fleeing enemy quicker. Um, but of course, it takes up yes, your and action. Yes, go, and going along with that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you hit it on the, you hit the nail on the head. That's, I was just going to mention, if you do any of these other things like dash or any of these other things we're about to say is that takes up your whole action so you can't dash and then attack or disengage and dodge unless you have a thing such as the rogues have which allow you to do that but for the most part if you use dash you're going to be moving double your movement speed and that's it you can't really do much else in terms of main actions right and you just always kind of think back to the the fact that these this this turn is taking place within six seconds so that's encompassing your movement it's encompassing your action and any bonus actions or things like that that you do and so that's why you can't stack like suit like too many actions into one turn because it just doesn't make sense you're not like neo from the matrix or anything um now of course there are as you do increase in level there are certain um i guess upgrades that you can get to make multiple attacks and that's just kind of a reflection of your training allowing you to be a little bit quicker and fit in two attacks instead of just the one um so that's how that kind of explained right so you're not just standing around going trinity help <laughs> help um, <laughs> next is going to be disengaged, um, which whenever you choose the disengage action, uh, it, it lets you avoid opportunity attacks for the rest of your turn, which is probably my favorite to use as a rogue. Um, just being able to flash in and like we, like Brady said, the rogue can use the dash disengage and hide actions, um, as a bonus action. And so it allowed me to flash in and attack and then with my bonus action disengage so then i could sneak away um so it's it's nice to do 
Uh, yeah, and and just speaking real quick, it's something I think we'll also go into more depth later. But just quickly, an uh, an attack of opportunity or an opportunity attack basically means when you move into a non-friendly creature's space and then move out of it within the same turn, or if a an enemy combatant moves into your melee and or uh, attack range and then moves back out, it allows you or the creature, however it goes, to make an attack of opportunity. So let's say I'm standing here and then uh, a little goblin comes up to me, doesn't attack, but he's just moving past me. As soon as he moves, or as soon as he is going to move out of my melee range, I get to use what's called an attack of opportunity. So basically I just get a free kind of a free swap at him. I get to take a melee attack at him uh, as long as I have not used up my reaction turn right. for something else within that turn. So basically it's just like kind of a free swap. Um, but that is you have to be moving into and out of the attack range in the same round. So like if I ran up to a goblin, uh, if I had already attacked, but I ran up to a goblin, if I stayed within that melee range, he would not get an attack of opportunity. But if I moved into and then passed him and out of that, then yes, he would get to take an attack of opportunity. So just bear that in mind. Yeah. And that's what, um, just like Brady said, it is specific to melee attacks. Um, So as long as a creature has um, the melee range on you, then that's their, their bubble that you can't leave without provoking. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Just getting into your personal bubble in and out of your personal bubble. (laughs) <laughs> don't touch me don't um get in my bubble <laughs> and uh another thing too one quick side note um that some people don't know is you can't um you can't provoke an opportunity attack um against kind of against your will i guess like so if you um are facing two creatures and one of them pushes you and it causes you to leave the melee range of the second creature, that second creature doesn't get an opportunity attack on you um, because you're not, you're not leaving voluntarily essentially. (laughs) Um, And the same thing of you can't throw an enemy or you can't push a uh, enemy past your buddy and outside of his melee range and cause him to get an opportunity attack. Or if somebody's falling past you, you know, off a balcony or something. Um, So just one little hot tip. Um, to keep in mind. Yes, good point. <laughs> That's a hot take. Um, hot take. Next uh, thing is going to be the dodge action, which I think I feel like everybody just forgets. Like the dodge action is just so good. Um, and whenever you choose to use the dodge action, um, you focus entirely upon avoiding attacks. So that may be, you know, for flavor deflecting attacks you know kind of dodge you know literally dodging them um or kind of just paying attention and it also gives you it causes sorry any enemies um attacking you to have disadvantage on their attacks as well as if you can see where an attack is coming from that causes you to make a dexterity check might be like a wizard's fireball spell or something then you have advantage on that because you're prepared to dodge you're paying attention you're focused entirely on avoiding attack you know you're not preoccupied on attacking as well um yeah yeah. or if you're surrounded by like three different enemies and 
you know you're not necessarily going to be able to disengage to get away. You can be like, oh, I'm going to dodge. So if those three enemies do take attacks on you, then you have at least a little bit of a better of a chance of avoiding those attacks or withstanding those attacks a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and I think like some people may view this as kind of like a like min-maxer or like metagaming it. Um, if you are about to end your turn and you are you have not done any action for the love just dodge <laughs> like just like choose to dodge for real it's yeah. it's basically free just just yeah, do it I mean, I mean it'll help you out in the long run yeah i don't think it's that hard to fit into your role playing that if you're not doing anything you're also paying attention and trying not to get hit. <laughs> so yeah, for real, you're, you're a seasoned adventurer. You're going to be on your toes. And hopefully if you're not doing anything else, you'll just be like, Oh, hope nothing hits me. I'm going to be looking out. Oh, oh, oh. you got to be quicker than that. <laughs> <laughs> you almost got it. Um, <laughs> next, next thing is going to be the help action. And this is one, uh, Brady and I were talking about. It's kind of a, a sticky point. Um, and I've heard of, a ton of people, um, even on some very prominent uh, play, uh, what is it, live plays of uh, Dungeons plays. And Dragons? Let's plays, yeah. Um, using this help action wrong, um, you know, and it's up to the DM. If the, if you don't want to be too strict on it, I guess that's just me being the super stickler on the basic rules. Um, I think having fun is important, but I also think that rules are rules. So, rules are there for a reason. Rules are well, rules. You know, if we're not going to enforce the rules, then what's the point in having them? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the help action, you assist a creature, giving them advantage. So this can be um, on any kind of task. So, I mean, trying to pull a chain to, like, raise a drawbridge or something. You can use the help action to possibly get that chain moving faster. Um, and you also can use this to kind of as a help action in combat, um, like fighting. So whether it be distracting an enemy or kind of just, you know, poking at them, like to make it easier for your ally to then attack them. So again, giving them advantage on their next attack or task. Um, so one thing, I guess, as a dungeon master, I, I kind of want to hear players tell me what they're doing to help. You know, don't just say, oh, okay, I help him. It's like, okay, you need to be able to tell me how, and it needs to make sense. Because otherwise it's just, you're just gaming it. You're not actually role-playing. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like, you know, if you're just pulling this out of nowhere, you know, like if your parents told you to go and help your brother mow the lawn and rake the grass up after you got done, and then they walked out there and they were just like, you were just standing there just reading a magazine. You're like, I'm helping. What are you doing? I'm <laughs> helping. No, tell me how you are helping your brother complete the task that we assigned you. It's like, uh, yeah, exactly. So you need to be describing and doing something that is actually helpful and not yeah. just, I'm just helping. So yeah, that's, that's a good point that yeah. Pat brings up. Just make sure. You know, that's that's something to bear in mind that you're not just, oh, I'm just helping and that you're actually in proximity or in relation to whatever you are going to be helping doing. Yeah. Like it, it makes sense in the world. Yeah, I think it just being doing good help actions is just fits better into role playing. If that's that's what you think is is more important. 
Um, all right. All right. Next thing is going to be the hide action. So essentially, um, whenever you take the hide action, you're making a dexterity check um, in an attempt to hide, whether it be to sneak up on somebody in combat um, to gain advantage from them not knowing you're there. And let's see, going, reviewing the rules for hiding. Um, Brady, I think uh, we we talked about um, you can't hide from a character, or sorry, a creature that can see you. Correct. Okay. Um, and let's see, most creatures in combat are, you know, aware of what's going on. They're in the heat of battle, so it's they're going to be, you know, making active perception checks to try to, to detect you. And uh, but if yeah, they, they're going to be on their toes. Yeah, but if they are kind of engaged um, with some other combatant, then they, you know, there's a reasonable likelihood they may not notice you. Then it kind of be a uh, your dexterity check versus their passive perception. You know, just kind of something right. the DM has to wade through and determine on the fly. Yeah, this it's not too hard to determine, and uh, just a little kind of if you need or want to read over this a little bit more, it's on page one seventy seven. Uh, it's in chapter seven there, and it talks about hiding. But basically, passive perception, when we say passive perception, that is 10, just a base of 10, plus that creature or um, player character's wisdom modifier. And that number, so let's just say 10 plus 4, 14. So it's, if somebody rolls a stealth check or is already in stealth and is trying to sneak up on a creature that is in combat, Let's say a rogue rolls a 17 and there's a goblin that has a passive perception of 14 and it is engaged in combat. Then as long as you're not like walking straight up in front of it, but if you're actually trying to sneak and be behind it and get like a sneak attack or whatever on it, then yeah, that's going to, that's going to work. But as Pat was saying, if you're standing there facing a goblin and you try to hide by just like stepping, you know, one square to your right or five feet to your right behind a pillar. That's not going to work because it's like, <laughs> I, I just, the goblin's going to be like, I just saw you step behind that pillar. So <laughs> I can still see you. <laughs> I can still see your arms poking out. <laughs> Smoke bomb. Um, <laughs> vanish. Vanish. Um, Ninja vanish. All right. So the uh, next action is the ready action. So when you ready an action, um, you have two options. You can either um, you say move up to your speed in response to something that happens, or you can choose another action to do. And so what you do is you say, you know, there's going to be something that happens. Um, if this thing happens, it is the trigger for my readied action, and this is what I'm going to do. So you want to spell out during your turn exactly what, um, you know, event, trigger, and what's going to happen. So you can't move and do an action, and you can either do one or the other. So this can be, you know, if the cultist steps on the trap door, I'm going to pull the chain and open it. Or if the enemy steps close to me, I'm going to step away, which would not provoke an opportunity attack, because um, you're kind of doing it in reaction you're, you're ready to do it um yeah like you're you're keeping your distance in a sense so they're not really yeah. getting into your your personal bubble like you 
are prepared for them to come towards you. So you are stepping back in reaction um, with that readied thing. Like I see them coming. So I'm going to step back as they come towards me. So that's like just keeping your distance kind of a thing. Right. Keeping them at arm's length. <laughs> if you have five foot long arms. Um, mm, that's right. <laughs> and uh, another thing. So the, you can ready a spell. Um, so using the cast a spell action, you can kind of get, you know, keep a, a spell kind of charged up and ready to go. Um, the thing about it is if that trigger doesn't happen, that sets off, you know, your, your spell, then the energy is still consumed because you've kind of activated the energy to form the spell and get it ready. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And also you have to keep your concentration while you're holding that spell. So say if you're at the top of the round and you, you're the first one to go and you say, I'm going to, you know, ready this fireball or, you know, whatever it is. If by the, before it gets to your turn, say if a goblin is able to come up to you, that wasn't in the ready, you know, parameters there and lands a hit on you and, breaks your concentration then you lose that spell so you've just wasted a spell slot pretty much yeah and you have expended that spell spell slot and you have lost it so you do have to maintain concentration during that time of holding that spell yeah and that's one we'll we'll get in um in deeper to next episode uh later and kind of discuss how you determine if you've lost concentration by the amount of damage you took that sort of thing um so we'll talk about that later. But the next action you can take, there's two left. We're almost there. Um, search. So essentially you can use your turn to search for something. You know, whether it be you're trying to find a key to open this thing to escape. Um, and the next thing is using an object. So assuming that you found the key during the last turn, you can then use the key. Um, so each of those actions take an action. Gosh, it's so it's so hard whenever they use the the word that's common for the thing you're doing. You, you do an action when you action when you do an action. Action, action. All right. So, next thing we're going to discuss is attacking. So yeah, we're going to go into making an attack, and uh, we're just going to kind of cover the basics of this. We'll go into it in more depth in another thing. But the three basic things you need to know for it. Uh, there's kind of three things. There's choose a target, determine the modifiers, and resolve the attack. So choosing a target, basically you're just saying, I'm going to hit that creature or that person. And then determining modifiers is you kind of determine if you have advantage or if the creature has disadvantage or anything like that that gives you modifiers, uh, either ups or downs in your attacking attacking ability. And then you do the resolving attack, which is you actually make the attack roll, apply any applicable modifiers or demodifiers, I guess. Well, modifier is still a modifier if it's plus or minus, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Um, So then you apply that to it and you resolve the attack, whether and that being either seeing if you land the hit and then you move on to rolling for damage or if you have missed, which that's kind of your kind of you shot your shot sort of a thing. All right. So like Brady said, you're going to essentially choose a target and then try to hit them. So, um, so you know, like we've talked about before, I think it's episode three, uh, the heart of the dice. Um, you're going to roll the D 20. 
that is going to be what determines if you hit. So rolling that 20-sided dice, you're going to see what your result is and add any kind of modifiers. So if you are using your dexterity modifier um, for the weapon that you're using to attack, like let's say it's a rapier, um, which you can, it's a finesse weapon, so you can use dexterity or strength. So you add your dexterity modifier as well as your proficiency bonus if you are proficient with that weapon type. And that will determine, you add those on top of the result for your d20. And if it is equal to or higher than the armor class for the target that you're trying to hit, then it's a successful hit. And then, you know, once you've got a successful hit, then you can roll your damage. So... Back in our equipment episode, we talked about um, different weapons have different damage types. So I believe the rapier, using my example, uses a D8. Oh gosh, I'm going to have to check that. Um, I believe it uses a D8. I know a short sword uses a D6, but I believe rapier uses a D8. So you would then roll your D8, and you would add your proficiency bonus um, to that roll. So using the same example, the uh, rapier, assuming you have a successful hit, um, you're going to then roll the d8 to determine your damage and then add your dexterity modifier. It's the same modifier that you used to see if you landed the attack. So you're going to add that to the result on the d8, and that is going to be the damage that you do. Um, of course, if it's just the standard, um, standard weapon, if it's got magic... In it, it might do some extra damage, or ooh. Um, but as far as for the uh, standard damage, like I said, the D8 plus whatever your modifier that you're using, that's it. And it's going to be the same, of course, with ranged attacks. You know, using bows, using crossbows, that sort of thing. Um, since ranged attacks use dexterity, like I said, you're going to roll to see if you successfully hit with the D20, and then using the damage die assigned to that weapon. You're then going to add the your dexterity modifier to see what your total damage done is. Yep, and then uh, that's pretty much what you're going to do for most attacks. Like even for some some not all uh, spells or magical mm-hmm. attacks, uh, some do require a um, a roll like that to see if you actually hit with it. And then the other big one is going to be your ranged attacks, which is basically the same exact thing. The only thing you have to take into consideration is the weapon's distance limitations, which would be listed next to it. So basically, if you are outside of its preferred range, I guess you could put it, then you will have disadvantage on it. Um, So like if you're either too close or too far away, then you will have disadvantage on that. Uh, yeah. Just some, something to bear in mind, but pretty much all the rest of it's going to be exactly the same for all of these. There's just a few tweaks here and there, depending on what it is you are attacking with or how you are attacking. Right. And like Brady said, too close for a ranged weapon essentially means if you're within that five feet, that melee, that typical melee range, um, that's what's going to impose that disadvantage. Um, there is a uh, an ability you can take later on if you'd like that's that can make it to where you don't have that disadvantage up close. We'll talk about that later, I think. I'm not going to dive into that now. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, yeah. And um, there's also just a couple of other things 
that we'll just mention, but that we'll go into in depth on uh, probably one of our future episodes, like behind the uh, behind the screens episode. But there's things like cover that you have to take into account. There's half cover, three fourths cover, and full cover. And basically, that just means if you or that creature, whoever is being attacked, if you have cover, you get um, bonuses to your AC, which it just means you're harder to hit. Because if you think about it, if you've got three fourths of your body sticking behind, sticking up behind a wall, then you're going to be a little bit harder to hit. Whereas if you have half of your body behind a wall, you're going to be that much easier to hit. So. Uh, there's that, and then there's different damage types. So there's like poison, slashing, bludgeoning, f- you know, falling. I mean, piercing. there's all sorts of different types. Yeah, piercing, slashing. That's on page 196. Uh, you can read over that if you want to, but we'll go in more depth than that in another episode. But yeah. we just each, wanted to let you know that there are different types of damage. Yeah, and each weapon will state what kind of damage it does. Right, and that just comes into effect because sometimes certain armor and or certain classes, um, let's just say like the berserker or the berserker, the uh, the barbarian, ha- whenever they're in rage, has resistance or vulnerability to certain type things, which gets into resistance means you take half damage of whatever type of damage that is, and vulnerability just means you take double the damage of that. So. If you're resistant to something, you take half damage. If you're vulnerable, then you just take double damage because you're more vulnerable to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intuitive. So speaking of doubling things, uh, another thing to, to bear in mind whenever you're making these attack rolls and things like that against uh, armor class and AC would be critical hits and critical misses, or what some people call just crits. Uh, either a you know natural twenty or a natural one, these are going to be uh, things that do affect your damage output. So, and they only apply to the attack rolls and your and your damage, and not skill checks or ability checks. So, right. if you're rolling and you roll a natural twenty, you're you know, and you're rolling for let's just say an acrobatics check. If you roll a, a natural twenty you don't double your skill yeah, for whatever that is. It's just, yeah, it's just, it, but, uh, right. You, you just add, you add your modifier to it. So whatever your roll is, you add your modifier to that. Whereas when you're rolling against AC, so let's just say I roll a natural 20 against AC. Yeah. It's, um, it's going to hit. That just means that whenever I, yep, it, it hits and it's, it's, it means you have landed a blow, but when you land that blow, you get to, there's either one of two ways that you can do this for rolling the damage die. So you can either roll the damage die uh, for, let's just say, again, for the rapier, like Patrick was talking about earlier. You roll that rapier, so instead of rolling... Um, 1d8. or it, Yeah, instead of rolling 1d8, you would roll 2d8, and then plus your modifier, whichever one you choose, the strength or the, or the dexterity... And then you total all that up together, or you can roll it once, add your modifier, and then double it. It's basically just kind of a a DM kind of a thing where it's either ease of flow of combat and keeping things quick, where you just roll it once and you double it, or some people do like to you know take the extra fate roll and kind of just see how much more or how much less you can get. 
so there, there there is the two ways of doing that but just uh be aware and then if you roll a critical miss or a critical fail yeah which would be a natural one then you miss <laughs> yep you do not hit no matter what your modifier is yeah. if you have you know a plus 10 modifier to whatever you know weapon or whatever it is if you roll a one then you are going to miss yeah um and one thing uh quick to mention and kind of reiterate is whenever you double those things with a critical hit it's the dice that you're doubling whether you're literally correct double the amount of dice or doubling the results on the dice and then adding your modifier so correct remember that all right good point now let's get into the worst part of combat (laughs) dying dying (laughs) dying (sighs) um so uh so dying pretty much happens um whenever i guess not dying whenever you drop to zero hit points and like we talked about in the character creation episode you know your hit points are literally representation of your life force um so if a blow were to hit you and knock you down to zero hit points that means you are unconscious um and you will on your turn at the start of your turn start making death saving throws and i think we touched on it a little bit but we'll we'll uh, reiterate it here so we can talk in further detail um but first is there's a situation that may cause instant death and that is when you get such massive damage done to you that the blow reduces you to zero and then the remaining damage done to you is equal to your total hit points so let's say you were at one hit point and somebody did 14 points of damage to you and your total is 12 hit points it would lower you to zero um, and then there would be enough left over to eclipse your total um, kind of in the negative and so that is instant death no death saves you're done um, now, of course, you go. You, know, you may get some sort of magic, you know, reviving, you know, some kind of reincarnation, that sort of thing. But we'll talk about that later. Um, and like I said, we'll we're going to talk about falling unconscious and the death saving throws. So at the beginning of each turn, you're going to roll a d20, and so results of ten or higher is a success. The results of nine and lower is a failure. And so with this, you can also roll those natural 20s or natural ones. So a natural one um, is it counts as two failures. So bad, bad stuff. Um, and then a natural 20 um, will actually cause you to regain one hit point. So that stabilizes you, brings you back into the fight, and prevents you from having to continue rolling death death saves. Um, yeah, and one one thing to add on that with the uh, with the death saves, you have three on each of those, so there's three successes and three failures. So you have to either roll three successes to basically stabilize yourself, or three failures, and which the point that is when you die. So whichever one of those you come to first. So if you're rolling and you get three successes first, which you can get like one success, one failure, and then two successes or like two successes and a failure, whatever. Whichever one you meet first, 
of three of is what you do. So you get three successes, then you're stabilized. If you get three failures, then you be dead. Yeah. Um, one thing to remember as well is if you take any damage while you were at zero hit points, that counts as a uh, failed death save. Um, Automatic. Yes. And so that's, uh, it, you know, it's like a rolling a, uh, a two. So no good. Um, and one thing we'll talk about later when we kind of talk about the different conditions and that sort of thing that you may may find yourself. Um, if you're at zero, uh, if you're prone and you take a melee hit, that is a critical. And so a critical hit is automatically two failures. So that's one. Again, one no good. <laughs> yeah, very bad. That's one of those moments where um, if you've been talking smack and the DM makes the bad, big bad guy stand over top of you and poke you. Um, <laughs> that's no good. <laughs> um, so don't, don't make the DM mad. Negative. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the good thing is, is that um, there are a lot of different ways to stabilize a creature. Um, so one of the ways is you can, you know, roll up to them and uh, make a wisdom medicine check. And so if you roll a, 10 or higher on that medicine check, then that character is stable. They're still, um, I think they're still at uh, zero hit points, but they are, you know, unconscious, but they're stable. They don't have to keep making, um, they don't have to keep making death saves. And you have that dead or that unconscious character roll a D4. And after that, D4 hours, whether it be one hour or four hours, that character, unless they're healed by some other kind of, you know, spells or potions or that sort of thing, they regain one hit point. So they, you know, kind of come back to. Yep. And that basically kind of covers what happens if you drop to zero HP. Um, if you get enough damage, then you instantly dead. If not, then you just get to take uh, some some rolls trying to bring yourself back to stable or if somebody stabilizes you or heals you. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much dropping to, dropping to zero HP. Yeah. And um, one thing I um, wanted to talk about is there's kind of the option to do lethal and non-lethal damage. Um, yes. And so you, if you decide, you know, hey, I need to t- take this guy captive need to question him later or something like that. Um, you can choose to knock him out. Um, and the way you do this, you essentially have to reduce a character's hit points to zero um, with a melee attack. You can't shoot him with an arrow to knock him out. Um, you know, doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, and kind of DM discretion, We Brady and I talked about uh, whether or not you've got to let you know declare whether you're going to be using non-lethal damage to try to knock them out um but in my opinion i think it makes sense um if you if that's part of your intent it kind of helps you know prevent the whole retconning of oh i oh man i didn't mean to kill that guy it's like yeah well you should have said you didn't mean to kill that guy <laughs> but before you before you yeah basically <laughs> Yeah, basically de- declaring befl- before you land the blow or make the attack that, hey, I want to try and keep this guy alive, so 
you know, if this hits and then I do enough damage, I would like it to be non-lethal or like, no, nah, this dude, he going down yeah. and you just attack him anyways. It's just, you know, and also that's, that's some kind of flavor that you can add on to, uh, whenever with the DM, whenever you're making that attack is, you know, you land it and just be like, all right, well, how do you want to non-violently take him down? Do you want to hit him with the palm of your sword? Do you want to sweep his legs out from under him and he, you know, falls and knocks the breath out of him or hits his head or whatever. So, um, while it is mechanical, it is kind of a little bit of flavor too, if you want to spin it that way. And that's, that's one, I guess, important element about, you know, being a dungeon master, kind of protecting that, you know, the knowledge of how many hit points your creature still has left over, because that can really weigh on a character, you know, trying to make the decision of, okay, can I poke this guy one more time to get his health a little bit lower? Or do I need to make the attempt to knock him out? Um, and one thing to remember is if, if you try to knock some something out, somebody, some creature, the damage is still done. So you're, you're okay there. It's, it's still going to be a, you know, good <laughs> knock to the head. Um, it just may not do the trick yet. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just something you need to declare. And, and those are things that we can go into, I know we've mentioned it a couple of times, but these these future episodes of behind the screens or from the DM's perspective, these are things that we can go into more depth into and talk about. Uh, just things that you need to take into account as a as as a dungeon master. Uh, things that you have to deal with a lot that people don't realize, but we we can go in that into into more depth in our future episodes. Right. Yeah, and I think I mean. I don't think we're going to get into underwater uh, combat tonight. Maybe later. Um, no, yeah, and these all the rest of this stuff is in the book, in the player's handbook, even some of the, the basic, the free PDF that you can print off. Um, we really, seems like a lot, but we skimmed over a lot of stuff and didn't really go into in-depth stuff. So if you want to kind of dive into and read for yourself and, and interpret these how you will, uh, that's what the player's handbook and the, the free PDF is for, but chapter we just wanted to kind of give you a, player's handbook. yeah, we chapter nine. Yep. We just wanted to give you kind of a high overlook of kind of all the stuff, uh, that we'll go into more depth later of, but we just wanted to give you an idea of combat and the flow, maybe, um, either the next episode or another episode or two here, we might actually take, uh, Patrick and I actually walk through a couple of rounds of combat where, I act as the DM and uh, Patrick acts as the player characters. And we can just sort of walk you through and give examples of each thing and what a round of combat or three or four would look like. So, right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that sounds, sounds fun. Just having you uh, teach people how to be dungeon master and beat up on me. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean? It's, I gotta, gotta get the punches where I can. Right. Um, all right, I think think that about does it. Um, Brady, before you close us out, I'm going to do my shameless plug for our social media. Um, Let's so do I, it. I think we got a whole lot of bases covered now. Um, got the Instagram up and running. Got the Twitter up and running. Um, so if you're on those platforms, uh, we got Facebook too. We got our Facebook page. And our website. And our website, um, which Brady will mention in a second. And uh, our email. And our email. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, Let's say you can find us on Instagram. Um, just search vitamin D. That's the letter. I'm sorry, D N. That's the letter N D. 
podcast. I'm not as good as Brady at doing. You got to get the format down <laughs> right. I mean, you got to get it right. Okay, and then on Twitter, um, we you can find us at at vitamin D N the letter N D pod. So vitamin D N D pod on Twitter. Um, so hit us up there. Um, you know, I post on all those platforms just to try to get the word out, spread the news. Um, so like us, share, you know, heart, follow, whatever you do on all those different ones. Whatever their kids are doing these days. Whatever the kids are doing. <laughs> um, so please. And it re- we really would appreciate it too, because I mean, that's, we don't pay for, for advertising our show or anything like that. Um, that we just do this as two friends, just having fun, just trying to get, you know, the love of D and D out there for the love of D and D. Um, but I mean, every, every share helps every word of mouth mention, telling your friends, stuff like that. So if you have people that, you know, either like D and D or want to get into it, please pass the word on to them, get them to listen to it. Uh, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. So, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I think that's uh, that's going to be it for today's episode on brief overlook of combat, and we hope that you've enjoyed and found it, you know, informative. If you have, as we said, please consider either subscribing or you know downloading or listening to us on all of our platforms. We're on Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Podcaster. We're on all the places, any place you find basically uh, where to listen to podcasts at on iTunes or anything like that. If you would leave us a review on iTunes, that would mean a lot to us too. Tell your friends and spread the word. Um, we don't, as we said, we don't mention or we don't pay for advertisements or anything like that. So just uh, please let us know if you have any questions or something you'd like to hear about in a future episode by either emailing us at the vitamin D and D podcast at gmail.com, the vitamin D and D podcast at gmail.com. That's the vitamin D, the letter N D podcast at gmail.com. Or on our Facebook at Vitamin D and D Podcast, or check us out on our website or any of the social media that uh, Patrick just mentioned earlier. Uh, hit us up there if you have any questions or you want to give us shout outs or anything like that. Just hit us up there and keep an eye out for our next episode uh, where we'll be talking about possibly magic. We'll be talking about magic and um, how how that fits into combat and um, arcane. Yes, the study of the arcane and how that fits into combat. But other than that, uh, take it easy, and uh, we'll see you after your long rest.